0: Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today we're discussing Somalia after the country's recent elections, which ousted President Farmajo and brought back his predecessor, President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud. To discuss what to expect from Somalia's returning president, at home and abroad, we're joined by Abdi Anti, a former minister during Hassan Sheikh's first administration. Abdi is a former journalist and founder of the Heritage Institute, a Somalia think tank. Abdi, thanks so much for coming on our podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, first of all, you're you're joining us from Mogadishu. Um, I'm just wondering if you could sort of describe what the mood was like in the city as they successfully transferred power once again and elected Hassan Sheikh Mohamud to another term as president.
1: I think the mood in the city right now is one of optimism, hope. Certainly, one that is you know more forward-looking. And that is as a result of the long and protracted electoral process we've had, which was going on for about a year and a half, which at one point was very close to being a violent one. In fact, it was violent at some point in 2021. But at the end of the day, I think most Somalis are celebrating what has been a tradition of this country since independence in the 1960s which is a return to a peaceful transfer of power.
0: Now, you served with Hassan Sheikh Mohamud in his previous administration. I'm wondering what you think we should expect in terms of his leadership style. You know, I, I... interviewed him as a journalist over 10 years ago when he was launching his campaign in Mogadishu. Um, and I'd say he, he comes across sort of as the opposite of a bombast, you know, very understated, quite intellectual. Um, so, so what kind of leader should should people be expecting both his approach to domestic politics, but also foreign relations?
1: Well, I think that President Hassan Sheikh is known to be a pragmatic leader who focuses on accommodation and reconciliation among the Somali people. And that's owing to his background as a leader of civil society. And and during his first term as a president between 2012 to 2017, he was able to establish four out of the five federal member states uh, in the country. He was able to organize an electoral process that was a lot more inclusive than the one before that, and uh, was able to essentially put in motion, I would say, most of the state institutions that we know today, whether they are security institutions as well as the large bureaucracy that has developed under his leadership. And, and he was sort of lucky because he was the first non-transitional president since the Civil War in 1991. So You know, there was a lot riding on him when he became president. I think on his second term, we can expect that he would be a lot more experienced, certainly as a president, but also as someone observing from outside for five years and leading the opposition, but, you know, building a broad coalition, which ultimately brought about his victory on the 15th of May to become president again. I think the landslide victory he received was an indication that actually people uh, felt that he was needed back at the helm of the country after five years of what has been a very authoritarian leadership under former president Fermat
0: Now, of course, he didn't win, you know, re-election the the first time, uh, right away at least. What sort of lessons do you think his team will be drawing from Uh, the first administration and and what areas maybe will they be most sort of seeking to improve upon?
1: I think in terms of the key priorities, the president had already articulated uh, those priorities, I think, starting with uh, what is known as broad political settlement. And those are things like the constitutional review process, and uh, secondly, focusing on deepening the federal system, which is still nascent and in fact has not been touched since he left, and uh, on security, uh, like defeating al-Shabaab and strengthening state security institutions, economic reform, including completing the highly coveted uh, debt relief process, organizing a democratization process, including political parties, as well as one person, one vote in five years' time. And finally, repairing relationships with the uh, with the rest of the world, including our neighbors. Under President Formaggio, the government had a, a bad relations with some of our key partners, including the UAE, Kenya, Djibouti, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Those countries have had a very difficult relationship with President Formaggio's administration. I think President Hassan Sheikh intends to try and repair that and really uh, reduce and diminish problems with the countries in the region.
0: Thanks, Abdi. I want to go through those different foreign policy priorities here in a second. First of all, though, on the domestic context, obviously a hallmark sort of of President Formaggio's time in office was this sort of escalating tension between the, the central government and the federal member states. Presidents, of course, being at the federal government level, you know, have a natural incentive to try to increase their own power in the system. What, what do you think is the proper sweet spot? for the relationship between the central government and the federal member states?
1: I mean, I think, you know, it's fair to say that federalism as a system of governance is still a work in progress in Somalia. uh, And the debate around it is raging within the constitutional review process. President Hassan Sheikh is known to be a a strong pro-federalist president meaning that, you know, he would support strong member states, but obviously he would also want that the central government in Mogadishu, the federal government, retains considerable influence over federal member states. But I think that um, his philosophy previously when he was a president and now based on his campaign and his platform is uh, anchored on negotiating uh, those powers with the member states. And that includes both resource sharing, but also power sharing over things like who controls uh, you know, taxes and education and health, uh, but also uh, the justice system, the security system, and so on and so forth. I think of the number of models of federalism that exist around the world, I think that President Hassan Sheikh's preferred one appears to be a cooperative federalism rather than a coercive one where the federal government is uh, forcing things upon the member states.
0: Okay, so moving on to foreign policy, and of course the sort of favorite theme of ours on the podcast is how things affect the geopolitics of the Horn of Africa. First of all, starting with with Kenya, obviously that's been a troubled relationship recently. They've cut off relations with each other a couple times in the past uh, few years. What do you think will be President Hassan Sheikh's approach to Nairobi? Things like the maritime dispute actually started previously under his regime and there's some natural tension built in um, into this relationship. But how do you think he will go about trying to reset it and what, what will be his ultimate objective?
1: I think he intends to repair relations with countries that are deeply connected to Somalia in one way or the other. Kenya has been very welcoming to Somalis for the better part of the last 30 years. So, you know, I think President Hassan Sheikh understands that and wants to ensure that we have a more cooperative relationship with Kenya. Now, the, you know, there are issues that are of national nature and the maritime dispute is one of those. Uh, The dispute has not started under Hassan Sheikh. It has started under his predecessor, President Sheikh Sharif. However, the court case started with Hassan Sheikh. He was the one who actually took Kenya to court, and it was completed under President Formaggio. And uh, obviously, as you know, uh, it was largely adjudicated in favor of Somalia. But that's seen as a national issue rather than, you know, one president over the other. I think the president's foreign policy will be anchored on trade relations with the country. And and certainly Kenya is one of our largest trading partners. But also, I think there is a recognition in the incoming administration that Somalia in general is actually in a relatively disadvantaged position when it comes to the geopolitics of the region. And so it needs to be uh, having good relations with the neighbors rather than a, a complicated relationship.
0: On the issue of Kenya, um, is it inevitable that there be friction over Jubaland in particular, where Nairobi continues to have some some influence? Or is there a sort of constructive relationship between Mogadishu and, and Nairobi about Jubaland?
1: I mean, there is no doubt that neighboring countries in general, uh, such as Ethiopia and Kenya, tend to try and influence uh, various actors within Somalia. And the issue of Jubaland is certainly one that uh, Kenya views as its uh, turf. However, I think the relationship will be determined by the uh, by the level of engagement between the two countries, uh, but more importantly, by the posturing of the two countries. And by all accounts, uh, President Uhuru had much better relationship with Hassan Sheikh when he was president first time. And, uh, you know, uh, and I think he will have similarly good relationship with him again, uh, or whoever becomes the president of Kenya, I think the two countries will probably do all they can to avoid having frictions over uh, things like And I mean, there are always ways to find uh, to to work together, uh, but of course, you know, these uh, the interest is that neighboring countries have within Somalia's territory uh, continues to be a source of tension and can reignite again if not managed properly.
0: So, turning to uh, Ethiopia of course the the other very major neighbor obviously during during Hassan Sheikh's previous tenure the situation in Ethiopia was much different the leadership uh was different and president Farmajo ended up taking a a much different uh, attack uh towards this you know tripartite alliance as it was called between Asmara Addis Ababa and and Mogadishu. What do you expect from uh, the new administration in regards to Ethiopia?
1: I believe, having worked with President Hassan Sheikh before, um, he will he will be a pragmatic leader. I, I do not think that he will uh, take sides on internal, you know, affairs of any, you know, neighboring country, whether that's Ethiopia or any other country for that matter. Um, and that's simply on the belief that doing so is only going to create more problems for Somalia and not less. And uh, and looking at the foreign policy section of the of the manifesto of President Hassan Sheikh, um, it really points to a strong desire to uh, have a more collaborative, more positive relationship with the neighbors, based on mutual respect, but also on cooperation on issues like security and trade as well. So I'm not anticipating uh, that, at least from the Somali side, uh, you will see a what could be perceived as an adverse uh, interference within Ethiopia. I don't know what will happen, uh, what will come from uh, Ethiopia's side, although its leadership uh, has already congratulated President Hassan Sheikh and has expressed its desire to work with him.
0: On Eritrea, um, I'm wondering if the same philosophy applies there, if you think there would be a different approach towards Asmara.
1: I think the dynamics with Eritrea could be different, uh, although President Hassan Sheikh has already committed to try and return the 5,000 Somali you know, soldiers who are being trained in Eritrea, who've been there for a long time, uh, whose families have been complaining that they haven't heard from them. He's already publicly committed to returning those to Somalia, and that would require a pragmatic cooperation between the two countries. But since there is no trade between the two countries and no other cultural or any other ties, I do not anticipate that the relationship would necessarily be as uh, warm and cooperative as with, let's say, Ethiopia or Kenya, but it could you know just be a a good relationship that is maintained at a at a positive level uh it all also depends on the posture of the of the asmara side you know it all comes down to the how the um the administration in Asmara behaves in the coming few weeks
0: What do we know about these five thousand soldiers uh, that were trained in eritrea it's obviously been uh, a matter of much mystery and intrigue but but what do we know
1: well we know very little precisely because the previous administration under Fermajo essentially denied it until the very last day when Fermajo was transferring power in his speech he for the first time admitted that there were 5000 um, young boys you know mainly teenagers in their early late teens and early 20s were being trained in Eritrea for over a year. Most of them were recruited on false pretenses. They were told that they were getting jobs in Qatar. So most of their families were in fact duped into recruitment. And so many of them might have participated in conflicts in Ethiopia uh, or may not. I mean, no one knows really for sure. There is a cloud of suspicion around how these troops were recruited and uh, who's sponsoring their training in, in Eritrea. I mean, we know that Eritrea does not have the economic means to support such a large uh, number of, of troops, but also the way they recruited and, and, and sort of uh, the the regions from where these young boys were recruited from uh, remains a controversial issue within Somalia. And hopefully in the coming few months, there will you know, uh, the government will shed light, shed more light on this issue.
0: Do we have any idea what the original purpose of this was, even if it seems like perhaps that original purpose has been lost?
1: Well, I think this is part of a larger context, which is, you know, how security forces of Somalia were used uh, over the past few years under Formaggio. Even though thousands of new forces, and some of them highly trained forces, were, were trained for the country and equipped by partners such as Turkey and others, um, the forces have been used for political uh, objectives across the country. And that's why al-Shabaab was able to regain much territory, You know, significantly increase their, their infiltration because the security forces were simply not targeting them anymore. And the suspicion was that the forces in Eritrea would be returned to Somalia under a different indoctrination, uh, essentially a loyalty to the leader rather than to the country, and that they would contribute to his uh, re-election or his attempted extension of mandate, which actually went on for a year and a half. But ultimately, of course, um, they were not uh, able to return in time for the elections. I mean if they did return before the elections and played some role, that could have changed the results of the elections and the situation could have been different today
0: yeah, really fascinating to see where that whole storyline uh, ends up after after all this sort of mystery for a couple years uh, so one other question on the on the region, I think the this sort of alliance between President Formaggio, Abi, and Isaias, you know, is one of the ingredients, uh, among others, uh, that has sort of led to a bemoaning of almost the death of EGAD at a high political level in the region, um, as, a, as a body for regional consensual decision making. How is EGAD viewed in Mogadishu? And do you think, will it be a priority of the new president, to try to revive it as a as a regional forum um, at the highest levels?
1: I mean, I think it's fair to say that IGAD has never enjoyed wide support within Somalia, uh, mainly because for decades, IGAD was perceived within Somalia as a an extension of Ethiopian foreign policy uh, and Ethiopian foreign ministry. That's how it was perceived, especially among the political elite. And that perception remains uh, quite strong. And in the last few years, President Fremadro's administration tried to influence IGAT and even tried to place a senior Somali diplomat as the deputy executive secretary of IGAT. And that was unsuccessful. And that, I think, increased you know, the suspicion that a lot of political elites have about IGAT. Now, of course, IGAT has been in a difficult position, too. You know, it's headquartered in Djibouti. And it's led by a former Ethiopian foreign minister. And all of that made it that much more difficult for IGAT to sort of navigate what has been a very complex relationship among member states of the IGAT, especially between Somalia and Djibouti and Somalia and Kenya. You know, I I think the relationship with IGAT will depend largely on how IGAT conducts itself in the coming months and, and cooperates with the new administration on a lot of fronts, including political settlement issues, but also relationships with the neighboring countries.
0: And before we we turn to sort of outside the region, do you think the new administration will have any sort of new approach to the administration in Somaliland? um, Or do you think there'll be a pretty much a continuation and through line on Mogadishu's stance uh, towards Somaliland?
1: I think the President Hassan Sheikh will definitely restore the dialogue with Somaliland, with the objective of trying to find a pathway to reconciliation and, you know, a genuine reconsideration of the issues of unity or independence. Because for 30 years, um, the both sides have maintained the status quo. Somaliland, you know, calling itself an independent country and, and Mogadishu never recognizing it as such, and no other country, as you know, recognizes Somaliland. But I think we've all now reached at a point where it has become almost inevitable to try and and engage meaningfully and tangibly. And I think the President Hassan Shah will continue the dialogue, you know, that actually um, took shape during his administration. And he will also almost certainly reverse the more hostile posture that the Formaggio administration uh, showed Somaliland. Uh, which actually furthered uh, Somaliland's position, strengthened, I would say, its secessionist uh, agenda more than anything else.
0: Interesting. Um, I, I want to turn to the uh, the Gulf quickly. President Formaggio's administration, you know, really coincided with the the crisis in the Gulf, and amid all that, his administration became, you know, as is well known, very close with Doha, and and he also eventually fell into great discord. Uh, with the uh, Emiratis. How do you think President Hassan Sheikh uh, will go about trying to manage those relations given that history? Obviously, it's an easier context now after the Aula Accords and uh, sort of rapprochement within the Gulf. But how do you think he will go about it given the degree of golf competition that there has been uh, within Somali politics?
1: I think President Hassan Sheikh is going to aim to try and first repair the relationship with Somalia's traditional allies led by Saudi Arabia, UAE and and Egypt when you talk about the Middle East. And uh, I, I also think that he will maintain or at least aim to maintain a very good and pragmatic relationship with Qatar, despite the fact that Qatar was extremely close to Formaggio administration. So I think that will be the posture you will see from uh, President Hassan Sheikh. It'll, it'll also require quite a bit of navigation uh, on his part because he would want to maintain you know, excellent relationship with the, with the historical allies, but also make sure that countries like Turkey, which is very popular in Somalia, remains a strong ally with Somalia and a strong partner on a lot of fronts, including trade and security. Uh, but also, I do not think that uh, the president will try and uh, rupture the relationship with Qatar. Uh, quite the opposite, I think, Qatar has had a good relationship with Hassan Sheikh when he was president, so one can only expect a continuation of that. Probably not as close as they were to Formajo, but certainly one that is based on mutual respect and, and pragmatism.
0: Previously, Somalia, Became a bit of a case study in terms of how this intra-golf competition was was spilling over in negative ways uh, on the African continent in in the Horn. Did we learn anything from this election? Uh, was that narrative perhaps uh, went a bit overboard and being too strong? Did we learn about what the constraints of of that external influence ultimately is? I think there is
1: now a general consensus, or at least a broad. Sort of uh, understanding among the political elite that the that we all need to be very careful with the relationship with the Gulf, which tends to be um, their influence in Somalia tends to be pernicious, and largely based on you know infusion of cash to achieve specific political objectives. I think now most people, especially you know people around Hassan Sheikh and his administration. Uh, are of the opinion that the relationship would be new, should be nuanced and based on mutual interests and also avoidance of, of entanglement with the domestic intra-Arab or inter-Gulf conflicts as we've seen in 2017, which Somalia is extremely vulnerable to uh, if it t- takes sides. I mean, the Fermaggio administration you know took the side of Qatar even though it publicly said that it was neutral but it simply wasn't neutral and i and i think we've paid collectively a price for that i think the new administration understands that much mm.
0: can can i ask what what is the mechanism uh that somali elites have figured out um if they have figured it out but, but what are the mechanisms there to to buffer from a situation where outside countries you know, are offering political contributions in terms of uh, cash. Obviously, that's not a a very easy influence to sort of diminish uh, within politics. So so how have uh, Somali politicians and elites sort of gone about trying to protect this uh, Somali political system from that external influence?
1: Well, a number of ways. I think, first of all, uh, to avoid getting entangled with the, with the conflicts among Arab and Gulf countries. I think that's the first thing because those conflicts... Are sometimes you know almost like a family feud that are irreconcilable and, and Somalia certainly does not have a dog in that fight, so to avoid that I think is number one buffer. The second one is to try and limit if not eliminate the role of golf money in elections um, and we have a lot a lot of electoral cycles we have the federal elections every four years, but keep in mind we also have in, in the intervening years, we have state elections and Gulf countries also participate in those state elections oftentimes, uh, again, in, in pernicious ways. And so I think there's now a broad consensus among the political elite that, you know, the bottomless cash coming from the Gulf countries is as much as it can be enticing. Can also have a a long term negative consequences for the country because it's simply unsustainable and uh, the objectives that this cash is designed to achieve are not uh, for the interest of of the Somali people and the Somali political elite even themselves because the the you know Gulf allies shift quite constantly um, depending on who's in power and who's out of power.
0: So so what is the this, the strategy or the tactics of actually managing that. Obviously most politicians are happy to receive political contributions. Um and there's not really the formal institutions to, to regulate that um in the Somalia context. So what so so what has been the approach? Um is it is it a sort of take the money but then but then not let it influence you? Is that the is that the attitude or, or, or what's working?
1: I mean obviously the new administration would have to calibrate its policy positions on how to sort of limit the influence of the Gulf countries. Uh, and I mean the pernicious influence. There's a lot of positive influence as well, including trade, as I had mentioned. But in terms of the, you know, the attitude and the posture of the political elite, I, I think the the consensus that is emerging among the political elite is that we need to, you know, ensure that our politics and elections are not entirely dependent on Gulf contributions, that there should be ways to finance elections and, and politics domestically rather than externally, because external funding has been extremely unhelpful. The other thing is even the Gulf countries themselves, I mean, I've recently done a study on this, are now recognizing that their financial contributions are not always yielding the results they've desired. And in fact, countries, you know, or candidates who have paid the highest have always lost in Somali presidential elections. And that's the irony of it. So more money doesn't mean you're going to get the results. Quite the opposite. Oftentimes, the highest payers uh, lose elections very easily.
0: So moving on, finally, to what I'll label sort of the West and Somalia's, you know, many more sort of traditional donors. President Formaggio's administration, I think, clearly strained those relations with a lot of donors. Those are critical relations to the government, but also sort of sensitive ones, given how dependent in many ways the federal government does remain on on external actors. What will be the main priority, do you think, from uh, President Hassan Sheikh towards its more traditional international partners?
1: I think it'll be a relationship that would be based on a strong partnership with international partners, especially Western partners, the U.S., EU, and other European countries, uh, and also international organizations, starting with international financial institutions. As you know, we are in the middle of the debt relief process. We are actually halfway through, and to reach the completion point, uh, it, that it would require very close coordination and cooperation with international financial institutions and others.
0: And you think his main priority there will be debt relief?
1: I mean, certainly debt relief remains a top priority for the government. And the president has already uh, indicated that. But I think other priorities are are key. Of course, a big area is going to be security, especially for the United States, which, uh, as you know, had just reauthorized redeployment of about 700 special forces to Somalia to support counterterrorism efforts against al-Shabaab and other militant groups.
0: So Crisis Group is soon releasing a report that looks at the question of building a political strategy towards eventually engaging uh, with al-Shabaab and, and raising this question of how and and if and and what that would look like. How much consideration was there in the previous Hassan Sheikh uh, administration towards trying to open up some sort of talks to al-Shabaab or feeling that out?
1: In, the pre- in his previous term, um, the president's office, through the Office of the National Security Advisor, has been really trying its best to find ways to engage with al-Shabaab and also increase the number of high-value defectors, which a lot of people came through that pipeline, including Mukhtar Robo. Uh, and so on and so forth. The idea was to try and really find a common ground to initiate a dialogue that would ultimately lead to reconciliation with al-Shabaab if there was an avenue for that. Uh, and a lot of countries were supporting that effort, including the US, Turkey, and Norway, to a certain extent, even Qatar. I think now the, you know, the same national security advisor who was in place is back um, at that same job he hasn't still articulated his priorities, but I think we can expect a, an effort at least to try and, and re-engage with al-Shabaab, but certainly not before a lot of territories is being re-liberated, because right now they've expanded the area they, they hold in the last few years.
0: One point on the al-Shabaab question, the regional countries, you know, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, are, are quite opposed to any reconciliation with al-Shabaab, which makes this quite a different context than the Afghanistan example, which is often raised. To to what degree would that regional opposition constrain a Somali administration when it decides sort of how to approach the al-Shabaab question? Or would it not play much of a a factor in, in the decision making of the new administration? I
1: think the administration would not change its policy and whatever its strategy becomes because uh, neighboring countries oppose it. At the end of the day, the problem of al-Shabaab is more acutely felt inside Somalia rather than its neighbors. And the neighbors do know that if al-Shabaab is in fact uh, degraded and defeated in Somalia, they won't be able to attack neighboring countries. So this is a problem for Somalia more than for neighbors.
0: As, as a sort of closing question, what would be your number one recommendation for external countries engaging with uh, Somalia, especially its traditional sort of Western donors. um, What what would be your number one recommendation for engaging with this new government?
1: I would say, you know, having been a planning and international cooperations minister who's responsible for engagement with international partners, I think my key recommendation would be to give space to the new government. Let the president appoint a prime minister, form a cabinet, and then put out their political program as well as the, their development priorities and uh, uh, and then support them based on their own priorities I mean frankly speaking, um, a lot of Somali political elites sometimes feel that they are burdened by the the multiple demands they receive from our international partners, sometimes conflicting demands uh, and conflicting priorities uh, that you know, not only burden the functions of the government, but sometimes actually um, complicate its uh, posture and perception within the Somali people. Because if they are, if the government is perceived as, you know, taking actions on behalf of one government or the other, it, that delegitimizes the, the government in the eyes of the Somali people. So certainly I would say space is space and space is going to be critical in the initial phase But secondly, I think, you know, supporting the government's priorities as articulated by the National Development Plan is going to be another main priority. And the third and final priority would be to provide the financial support that the government needs to really discharge its duties, not only on the security front, but also on provision of basic services such as education and health and and other services as well.
0: Thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast and, and for this long conversation. Thank you for having me, Alan. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Crisis Group or read our reports at crisisgroup.org. I'm Alan Boswell. This podcast is produced by Mae Francis and Ida Nambi.